Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirabbilalamin wassalatu wassalamu ala asyrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Allahumma anfa'na bima 'allamtana wa 'allimna ma yanfa'una warzuqna 'ilman tanfa'una bih. Amin ya rabbil alamin. Alhamdulillah. We thank and we praise Allah azza wa jalla um, for allowing us to reach our next lesson of the creed of the righteous. And carrying on from last week's discussion where we spoke about the importance of at-tafakkur. We spoke about the importance of reflection and pondering over Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's magnificent ayat and his great and amazing creations that he has left for us and created for us and specifically for us to ponder over. Because within these ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed signs for us, for those who reflect and for those who look into them. And these signs, as we explained last week, will ultimately lead us and direct us back to the creator of all of these things, the creator of everything, the creator of all of the worlds, Rabbul Alameen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, we've spoken about a number of Allah's creations that the Sheikh Rahimahullah ta'ala, the author, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah, mentioned that the, the, the issue was how do we know our Lord? How, how do we get to know our Lord? And he said by looking at his ayat, by looking at his signs and his evidences that he has left, and by looking at his creations. We spoke about looking at the seven heavens. We spoke about looking at the night and the day. We spoke about the sun and the moon. We've spoken about the seven heavens, the seven earth, whatever is within it, whatever is between it, whatever exists. We spoke about all of this Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen with some detail. And we've spoken about the importance of tafakkur and how this, you know, uh, brings about so much different benefits. Uh, Alhamdulillah. And then we mentioned the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke and he said that from his signs is the night and the day, the sun and the moon. And then he said, لا تسجدوا لشمس ولا للقمر واسجدوا لله الذي خلقهن إن كنتم إياه تعبدون That do not prostrate. يعني do not worship the sun and the moon. As people of the past used to do. As people of other religions do, they worship the creations of Allah. But Allah is telling us that these are from his signs. As great as they are, as amazing as they are, they are but from his creation and from his signs. So do not worship them. But worship Allah, the one who created them. In kuntum if you truly worship him alone. But if you are people of Tawheed, if you are people who are true worshippers of Allah, then, then you will never ever um, associate partners with him. And this is what we will touch on further to, in tonight's lesson. ta'ala. We mentioned a, a number of other ayat as well last week. Alhamdulillah. Carrying on into this week's lesson, the author, rahimahullah, continues and he says, That the Lord, he is the one who is worthy of worship. He is the ma'bud. The Rabb is the one that we're supposed to be worshipping. Ar-Rabb, who is Ar-Rabb? Ar-Rabb is the creator of everything. Ar-Rabb is the one who created all of those amazing um, signs and creations that we've spoken about and much more than that. He is the one who created the seven heavens and whatever it contains. He is the one who is the owner of everything. He is the one who is in charge of everything. Al-Malik wal-Mudabbir. He is al-Mudabbir. The, the one who manages the affairs, who is in control of all affairs. Every single thing is in his hand. Ala lahu al-khalq wal-amr. 
as we spoke about last week, this verse, that indeed the creation and command belong to him alone. The creation and command belong to him alone. Tabarakallahu Rabbul Alameen. And blessed is Allah, the Lord of, of all of the worlds. So the Lord, he is the one who is ma'bud. The one who is described with perfection, he is the one that we worship. He is the one that's worthy of worship. Um, and then the author says, and the evidence for this is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya ayyuhal nasu'budu rabbakum alladhi khalaqakum walladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattaqoon. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, and this ayah you will find in the beginning, towards the beginning of Surah Baqarah. Second page of Surah Baqarah, third page of Surah Baqarah, uh, depending which mushaf you are using. But yeah, Allah azza wa jal, he says, and this is the first commandment found in the Quran. This is the first instruction found in the Quran. Yani from the beginning of the book, this is of the first instructions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions. And Allah, he addresses all of mankind. <coughs> He does not address the Muslimun, the believers. He does not address the males or the females. He says, Ya ayyuhan nas, O mankind, O humankind, O people. Which means he is addressing every single person in creation. And this word nas in this context will include the jinn kind as well. So Allah is addressing all of creation and he says, U'budu rabbakum, worship your Lord alone. Worship your, worship your Rabb alone. He is the only one that you should worship. The one who blesses you, the one who has bestowed all types of favors upon you, that which is apparent, that which is hidden, and so forth. The one who created you. Who is this Lord? He is the one who created you. And he is the one who created those before you. Who is this Lord that you should worship, O people, O jinn, O all of creation? Who is the one that you should worship? You should worship the one who created you. You should worship the one who created you and those before you. The one who created everything, Al-Khaliq, the creator of everything. So that you be of those who fear him. So that you be of those who are conscious of him. So that perhaps you will attain taqwa. God consciousness. Yani you will be of those by worshipping him, the one who created you. You will be of those who be idnillah, fulfill his commandments. And those who stay away from his prohibitions. Those who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at every moment. The next ayah Allah says that he is also the one who made for you the earth as a place of settlement. He created this earth for you flat like a carpet prepared for you as a place of settlement, as a place where you can live with ease, as a place where you can go and fulfill your needs of work, of farming, of different types of needs that we have. Allah has created this earth for us in this way, firashan, flat and easy for us to go about our, our business and go about our needs. And then Allah says, وَالسَّمَا أَبِنَاءً and he made for you, he created for you the heavens as a canopy or as a roof. Bina'an. Like a roof over your heads. That is a form of protection for you. The sky above us is there as a form of protection for us. It contains within its stars. It contains within its signs. 
We mentioned the sun and the moon last week. Those stars are used by people who are out traveling as a, as a means of guidance, as a means of direction, as a form of beauty. Allah has beautified the heavens for us. He's made this, the sky like this, the way it is, as a form of beautification for us and also as a protection for us, as we mentioned. This is from the bounties of Allah, and this is the way He's created this world, with the flat earth and the sky as a roof, as a canopy above us. وَأَنزَلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَأَخْرَجَ بِهِ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ رِزْقًا لَكُمْ And then Allah says, and He sent down for you, or He sent down from the heavens, and He from the sky, from the, from the clouds, water, rain, that is pure and, and blessed, pure water that He sends down from the heavens, for us to benefit from, for us to, to drink. And Allah then says, فَأَخْرَجَ بِهِ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ That causing fruits to grow. That, that rain that comes brings about crops, brings about all types of benefits. It gives life back to the earth. And we, we benefit from whatever the earth brings forth of crops and fruits and trees and all types of different plants and benefits. Rizqallakum Allah says that all of this is for what reason? As a provision for you, as a rizq for you, as a form of sustenance for you, subhanallah. Pure rizq, pure sustenance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down so that we can benefit, so that we can, it can assist us in our obedience towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah azza wa jal says, فَلَا تَجْعَلُوا لِلَّهِ أَنْدَادَ وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ So do not knowingly set up equals with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in worship. Do not knowingly set up with Allah equals in worship. Subhanallah. So what do we see from this ayah? What we see from this ayah is Allah is instructing us. He's instructing us to worship your Lord alone. O oh people, oh all of creation, worship your Rabb. Who is your Rabb? The one who created you, the one who created those before you, so that you can fear him, so that you can be conscious of him. And he is the one who made and created for you the earth as a place of settlement. And he created the sky for you as a canopy, as a roof. And he sent down water or rain from the heavens, which brings forth fruits, to, which grows as a form of sustenance for you. So do not knowingly set up equals with Allah in worship. What this ayah incorporates is, number one, it reminds us of who Allah is. It teaches us a, a, a bit about our creator. And it also informs us that he is the one that's worthy of worship. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he said, Al-Khaliqu lihadhi al-ashya huwa al-mustahiqu lil-ibadah. Ibn Kathir, the famous imam of Tafsir, Tafsir bin Kathir, he mentioned that the creator of these things, the creator of all of this, he is the one that's worthy of worship. But before we get to this point, what does this ayah also tell us? The ayah, this blessed verse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, number one, reminds us of our Rabb. Reminds us that Allah is our Lord. And it reminds us of, of, of these favors that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed upon us in this world. Just like the other ayah that we spoke about, all of these things have been placed on this dunya for us, for us to benefit from, for us to learn lessons from. 
for us to see the signs within it that directs us back to our Creator, our Lord, our, our Rabb, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the ayah starts off with a commandment, which is to worship Allah, which is your Rabb. And it ends off with a, a prohibition not to sit up, sit up equals with Allah, partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in worship. So Allah Azza wa Jal uses this verse and he establishes his, his rububiyyah as a proof for his uluhiyyah. He uses his rububiyyah as a proof to establish his uluhiyyah. What does this mean? Allah uses his lordship as an evidence. Your Rabb, the one who created you, the one who has done all of these things, he is the one that you must worship alone. This is the lordship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he is speaking about. The fact that he is the Rabb of everything, the Lord of the creator of everything, the one in charge of everything, the one who is the owner of everything. He uses this as the evidence, as the proof to establish his uluhiyah, which means his divinity in worship, to prove that he is the only one that's worthy of our worship. And there's nothing and none that is worthy of worship besides him. So the strongest evidence that we have as Muslimun, that Allah is the only one worthy of worship, is to look at his rububiyyah. This is the clearest sign that there is none worthy of worship besides him, is when we look at his rububiyyah, is when we look at him as the Lord of everything. Because this is what makes him worthy of worship. This is what makes him worthy of worship. So if we look at this ayah correctly, we will understand that Allah has established his rububiyyah, his lordship, as an evidence upon mankind, upon jinnkind, upon all of creation, for or that they worship him alone, and that do not that they do not associate any partners with him in worship. As Allah then said, "Fala tajalulillahi and dadan antum taalamun." How can you then set up equals with Allah in worship when you know Allah so antum taalamun? You do this knowingly, knowing who Allah is, knowing He is the Creator, knowing He is the Sustainer, knowing He is your Provider. Knowing he's the one who created the heavens and the earth the way it is, as a provision for you. Sends down rain as a provision for you. How then can we set up partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knowingly? This is what Allah is telling us, do not ever do this. Stay away from this. And as we said, this is the first commandment in the Quran, to worship your Lord alone. The ayah ends up with the first prohibition in the Quran. The first pro prohibition in the Quran, which is, فَلَا تَجْعَلُوا لِلَّهِ أَنْدَادًا do not set up equals with Allah in worship, knowingly. This is the first prohibition. So what do we benefit from this ayah as well? We benefit that the first commandment in the Quran, that we, when starting the reading of the Quran, the first instruction that we find is the instruction to worship Allah alone. And the first prohibition that we find is the prohibition to stay away from shirk. Is to stay away from having equals or setting up equals with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whilst we know who he is, whilst we know about his rububiyyah. And this is something that's very important because we find that there are people who believe that Allah is the creator. They believe that Allah is the provider. They know that Allah is in charge of everything. They know him as the Rabb. But yet they do not worship him. They have set up partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when they make dua, they make dua through the dead. They make dua via the, the, the righteous people, via the prophets, via the awliya and the salihin. Yet they know who Allah is as the Lord. Subhanallah. This ayah is telling us that if you know your Rabb, 
If you know him to be your Rabb, if you know Allah is your Rabb, you do not have equals with him in worship. Worship him alone. Call unto him alone. Jalla Jalaluhu. وَفِعِلُ الْعِبَادَةِ مِنْ غَيْرِ تَوْحِيلٍ لَيْسَتْ بِعِبَادَةِ Doing any act of worship that is void of tawheed is not considered as an act of worship. Shaykh Abdul Musin al-Qasim, who is the commentator of the book, he then mentions that doing any act of worship that is not built upon tawheed, that is not for the sake of Allah alone or directed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone is not considered as worship. In fact, the Sheikh says, whomsoever worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at times, even if it's majority of the time, and then associates partners with him, فَلَيْسَ بِعَابِلٍ He says, this person is not a worshipper of Allah. This person, this person is not considered as an abid, as a servant, as a slave, as a worshipper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning that all of his worship is not for the sake of Allah. Yani at times he worships Allah and at times he worships other than Allah. At times he serves Allah and at times he serves other than Allah. This person, the Sheikh says, is not considered to be from the worshippers of Allah at all in the first place. And when we look at a verse of the Quran that proves this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about a people that worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sincerely. They worship him sincerely in times of hardship, in times of difficulty. Allah speaks about a people that worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sincerely alone, with tawheed. At times of difficulty, at times of hardship. For example, those who are on ships, who are on, the, on boats, and the ocean becomes, you know, rocky, or the ocean becomes a bit overwhelming and that boat starts to you know um, uh, bob around and go from this way that way and people become scared becomes a moment of, of 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 worry and anxiousness likewise in today's time when we're on a flight and we're flying and all of a sudden what happens there's turbulence and the aircraft aircraft starts to shake at that moment each person on that flight becomes terrified and he becomes worried. There are people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, that used to be in this situation and they used to be, and they used to then call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sincerely. Allah says, فَإِذَا رَكِبُوا فِي الْفُلْكِ دَعَوُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ That when they're on their boats, out in the ocean, دَعَوُوا اللَّهَ They call upon Allah, they supplicate unto Allah مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ Sincerely in the deen. Sincerely in their worship, in their religion. At that moment of difficulty, of, of worry, of anxiousness, of, of terror, of scare, uh, they, they worship Allah alone sincerely. But then Allah says, Allah then says, but when we saved them, when we brought them to land, we saved them, we brought them safety back to land, they then went back to their shirk. They then started to worship Allah and besides Allah again. They fell back into polytheism. Which means, subhanAllah, at that time of hardship and difficulty and worry and grief and fear, 
they worshipped Allah alone because at that moment they knew there's none that can save me but Allah. At that moment they knew and they acknowledged that, that those whom they worship besides Allah cannot benefit them, cannot save them. It's only Allah who can help them. And so they called unto Allah alone, sincerely. But Allah says, that The moment we saved them, we brought them back to land safely, they then went back to the shirk. Wallahu musta'an. And there's a lesson in this for all of us. That of course, number one, we worship Allah alone. The main lesson here is the lesson of Tawheed. That Allah must be worshipped alone in times of hardship and fear as well as in times of ease and prosperity. That we should not be like the mushrikeen of old who used to worship Allah alone and sincerely and with khushu' and humility at times of difficulty only. That's not the way of the believer. And at times of ease, they used to then become heedless and they would go back to the shirk, worshipping other than Allah, calling upon the idols, calling upon the dead, calling upon the righteous, calling upon whomever, jinn, etc. There are so many false gods out there, Wallah Musta'an. But the mu'min, he worships Allah Azza wa Jal alone in all circumstances, at times of difficulty and also at times of ease. This is the way of the believer. This is the muwahid. The person of Tawheed, he worships Allah alone in all circumstances, in all times. The second lesson is that we should be worshippers of Allah in all circumstances as well. Meaning not just with Tawheed, but we should be consistent in that we worship Allah in all circumstances. That we are true servants of Allah, not only in times of difficulty. And there's a hadith where the Prophet mentioned to us that Allah said that he will remember his slave in times of ease. When the slave remembers Allah in times of ease, Allah will remember him in times of difficulty. That's what the meaning of the hadith basically is. That Allah will remember the slave at times of difficulty if the slave remembers Allah in times of ease. And there's a great lesson in this for us. That when we are true worshippers of Allah Azza wa Jal and times of ease, meaning we're not sick, we're not going through any real severe difficulty with wealth, with any loss of anything, our family's okay, alhamdulillah, we're working, we're at school, everything's going okay. We're not in a bad situation. At that point, we should really remember Allah Azza wa Jal because this is the favor of Allah upon us. And when we live like this and we worship Allah in those times of ease, there's going to come a day when there's hardship. Because this is how this is life of the dunya. The dunya is not Jannah. It cannot be perfect every day. It cannot be happiness every day. It cannot be easy every day. But when that day of difficulty comes, Allah will make a way out, especially for those who remember Him during times of ease. And that's the key. That when that test comes, if we lived properly and we worshiped Allah in times of ease, when the time of difficulty comes, Allah Azza wa will make it easy for us ta'ala, even more than with regards to others and so forth. So Tawheed, La yusamma Tawheedan illa bi'ifradillahi bijami'i anwa'in ibadat. We cannot be of the Muwahidun. We cannot be people of Tawheed unless all of our worship is for the sake of Allah alone. All worship, not just partly, not just sometimes we worship Allah and other times we fall into shirk. 
all of our worship must be for the sake of Allah alone. When there's one act that we do that's not fulfilling Tawheed, it's an act of shirk. Whether it's so slaughtering or sacrificing for other than Allah, whether it's putting our trust in other than Allah, whether it's prostrating to other than Allah as a form of worship, whether it's making dua to other than Allah, whether it's making tawaf, for example, around graves and so forth, to venerate the dead person. As we see, these things are rampant in the Muslim world. This is acts of shirk that nullifies all of our worship. And we are not considered as people of Tawheed at all, even if majority of our worship is usually for the sake of Allah. As we mentioned, Ibn Kathir rahimahullah said, the creator of all of these things, huwa al-mustahiqu lil-ibadah. Abu al-fida, Ismail ibn Umar ibn Kathir. This is his name. His kunya is Abu al-fida. His name is Ismail ibn Umar, the son of Umar. And is known as Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah. The great Imam of Tafsir. The great Imam of the various senses of the Sharia. But he's written one of the best books of Tafsir, walhamdulillah. That we can all benefit from. And it's available in, in English. Well, a summary is available, but it's still highly beneficial. And you can find it online as well, even for free. Or you can purchase it in book form. The point is we should benefit from these type of books which are available to us in the English language as, as well. Walhamdulillah. So he says, the creator... Of all of these things that we've spoken about previously, last week and this week, he is the one that's truly worthy of worship. And there's none that's worthy of worship except the one who's truly the creator of everything. Because the one who's not the creator is creation. He's part of creation, which means he's weak and he's in need of the creator. So how can we be worshipping him? How can we turn our worship to someone who is in need of the creator himself? How can we worship something that's created that is also in need of the Creator? Why not just worship the Creator in the first place? This is what Islam teaches us. This is what Islam teaches us, that He is the only one worthy of worship, the Creator of everything. Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَالَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِهِ مَا يَمْلِكُونَ مِن قِطْمِيرِ Allah says, and as for those whom you call upon from besides Him, and anything that you worship besides Allah, anything, Allah says, مَا يَمْلِكُونَ مِنْ قِطْمِيرِ They do not even possess a qitmir. Whether it's a prophet, whether it's a messenger, whether it's an angel or a jinn, whether it's some other part of creation, a righteous person, Allah says, those whom you call upon from besides Allah do not even possess a qitmir. What is a qitmir? A qitmir is, is actually the membrane that goes around the date seed. So if you open up the date, there's a little pit or a seed inside it. Around it, you will see a see-through membrane. Very, uh, very, very, very flimsy, very light. Right? This membrane that surrounds the seed, that's a qitmir. Allah says they do not even possess that for you. That's, they cannot even help you with that, which is something that's simple, small, weak, something that's almost, almost benefitless. Allah says they do not even possess that. In tad'uhum. لا Allah then says, if you were to call upon them, if you were to worship them, they cannot hear your du'as. They cannot hear your supplications. لا This is the first point. That the only one who can hear everything is Allah Azza wa Imagine a thousand people calling upon one righteous person. 
A thousand people worshipping a tree. A thousand people worshipping a jinn. A thousand people worshipping an angel. Can that creation hear all that thousand du'as at the same time? Can that, thousand, that thing hear du'a from all around the world? Especially that if it is something that has died, you cannot make those in the, in the graves here. The ayah in the same surah, surah Azab mentions. Subhanallah. So then Allah says, لا يسمعوا دعاءكم They cannot hear your dua. They cannot hear your dua. لا يسمعوا دعاءكم ولو سمعوا ما استجابوا لكم I think it's sort of Fatir, actually not sort of Anyways, ولو سمعوا Allah then says that even if they could hear Let's say for argument's sake they could hear your dua. Allah says ما استجابوا لكم They would not be able to respond to your dua. Even if you argue that they can hear, they cannot respond. So firstly, we, Allah says they cannot hear. But if you, they, people say, well, maybe they can, or it's, it's some type of doubt, Allah says even if they could, they cannot respond, they cannot answer, they cannot assist you. And Allah says on the day of Qiyamah, they will disown your worship of them. They will disown your shirk. Oh, and, and notice this ayah. Allah is being very explicit. Allah speaks about those whom you call upon from besides him. They do not possess even a qitmir. They cannot hear you if you were to call upon them. And even if they you, even if they could hear, they would not be able to respond. Then Allah says, and they will disown your shirk on the day of Qiyamah. Which means to call upon them in the first place is an act of shirk. And there should be no doubt about this. Because again, this major... Uh, doubts going around from people saying that calling upon the dead is not considered shirk. It's not necessarily shirk. Unless you believe that they are God besides Allah and so forth. Allah doesn't say this. Allah says the mere fact that you're calling upon them is an act of shirk. And they, the ones whom you're calling upon, will be the first ones to reject your shirk on the day of Qiyamah. They will disown you and your shirk on the day of Qiyamah. So let us not be in doubt that this is, is a shirk or not. Calling upon anyone besides Allah is an act of major shirk. It's a form of worshipping other than Allah and it's major shirk. And there's no benefit in it. In fact, the one, the, those who you call upon from besides him will be the first to reject you and your worship on the day of Qiyamah. That's what Allah says. وَلَا يُنَبِّئُكَ مِثْلُ خَبِيرٍ And then Allah says that no one can inform you, O Prophet. Allah tells the Prophet, no one can inform you Better or like Al-Khabir. Right? Khabir. Like the all-knowing. This is Surah Fatir. Naam, I was correct. This is Surah Fatir, not Surah Hazab, Surah Fatir, verse 14. Right? So, now I can inform you about the situation better than Allah. Better than the all-knowing Jalla Jalaluhu. So, the point here is that any worship that's directed to other than Allah is considered as a form of shirk. And our worship must be for Him alone. For he is the only one worthy of worship because he is the Lord of everything. Because he is the creator of everything. He is the provider and sustainer of it. He is the one who protects everything. He is the one who is in charge of all affairs. And so forth. He is the one who is worthy of worship alone. This is the point that we have been mentioning tonight. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. So this is where we will uh, stop. And next week, inshaAllah ta'ala, we will speak about some of the different forms of worship that we have, that Allah Azza wa Jal has given us to worship Him through bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. So before we end off, if there are any questions that we can 
possibly assist with, you can send your questions through, inshallah ta'ala. Barakallahu feekum. Assalamu alaikum, shaykh wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Tell me if you have committed shirk by looking into knowledge that is from the jinn, because some of what was in the knowledge was snatched from the heavens. If I have committed shirk, my intention was not bad, because it's because I used to look into this material. I fear and I feel I need to repent. Allah I do not practice anything from this information from the jinn. Um, <clears throat> okay, firstly, how did you know it's from the jinn? How did you know this information is from the jinn, right? Uh, and and that's the first question. How do you know the information that you were reading or material that you had is from the jinn, right? If it and if it was, then the, uh, if you are referring to the mustaraq sam, meaning the jinn that used to snatch knowledge from the heavens, as mentioned in the question, as we know, there are jinn who travel up into the heavens and they try to overhear the decree that's being sent down. Right, and they basically like eavesdroppers, so they steal some knowledge and they come down. They inform, for example, they inform the the fortune tellers, and the fortune teller then receives this knowledge from certain jinn or the sahib, some magicians, um, those people practicing witchcraft, those people working with jinn, and so they come to you with certain information. They'll tell you this is going to happen. This will happen in your business. This will happen in your family, and it happens, and now you start to believe them, right? The reality is this person is working with jinn. So that action in and of itself is either tantamount to shirk or it leads to shirk. One of the two, it depends on what the way it happened. But usually it, it entails shirk because the jinn doesn't work for free. Right? The jinn doesn't give that information for free. Usually the sahir, the magician or the fortune teller has to do a favor for the jinn. And the jinn in return gives them other favors like certain knowledge and so forth. Right? Um, going to fortune tellers is a major sin. Going to them in the first place, the one hadith says, just to go to the fortune teller and to hear what they say, even if you don't believe them. Right? Even if you don't believe them. And this includes reading things like horoscopes and these things which try to tell you the future. All of this is haram. Right? Just this alone means that your salah is not accepted for 40 days. Your salah is not accepted for what? For 40 days. Although you still have to perform the salah, the obligation is still upon you, but there's no reward for 40 days. That's if you do not believe them. If you go and you believe what they are saying, you go there and you believe this person is telling me the truth, this person knows things, this person has certain miracles, then the hadith says, فَقَدْ كَفَرَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَى مُحَمَّدٍ this person has disbelieved in what was sent down to Muhammad meaning the Quran. He's disbelieved in the Quran. So in that case, it's a, it's a form of shirk. It's a form of disbelief. To believe fortune tellers, to believe them, is a form of shirk. So if this is what you meant, that you, I'm assuming this is what the questioner meant, that, um, you know, talking about information from the jinn, I'm assuming it came through some form of fortune teller or some form of magician. To believe it is a form of kufr and shirk. To not believe it but still go means that your salah could be invalid or not accepted for 40 days and Allah ultimately knows best. Either way, to be in Allah turn to Allah and repent unto Him, ask His forgiveness and His guidance and His protection because these type of people, you want to stay far, far away from them because they are working with shayateen and you do not want this type of people in your life 
uh, in, in your business, in your interactions, because many times the shayateen can come and mess around with you and so forth. Allah Allah protect you and all of us. Amin, Rabbil Alameen. My advice is, repent unto Allah Azza wa Jal for whatever happened and make a, a, a sincere effort and, and promise not to go back to any of those type of interactions and work, inshaAllah ta'ala. So we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to forgive you and all of us. Amin, Rabbil Alameen. What is the permissibility of protesting? Uh, most of the scholars say that protesting is impermissible um, and Allah ultimately knows best. The reason is that it leads to a number of um, a number of issues. For example, it inc- includes uh, it includes intermingling, it includes a lot of haram, it includes destruction of public property, it includes you know um, upsetting the peace, it includes uh, it could lead to, for example, um thawras, you know when there's revolts and so forth which then has a a, a a response from the government and then there's people maybe get locked up and people get beaten up or even shot and so forth so many times it leads to more harm than actual good and allah ultimately knows best most of the scholars have said it's impermissible wallahu a'lam When praying and you forget how many rak'at you've done, should you continue with the rak'ah you think you're on or start all over again? Um, it depends, right? It depends on how sure you are. Okay, it depends on how sure you are. So if, let's say, for example, you you are pretty sure that you um, are on the third rak'ah, but there's some doubt. There's a little bit of doubt, but you're quite sure that it's the third rak'ah. In that case, it's the third rak'ah and you continue. If you are completely unsure, you absolutely have no idea is it the third or second, then always go to the lesser of the two. Right? If you are completely unsure, you have absolute doubt, you have no idea which, which one it is, go to the lesser of the two and carry on from there. At the end of the salah, you can make the sujood sahwi as well, just to be sure. Right? And Allah knows best. So if you are if you are confident that it's the third, for example, or the second, then it is the third or the second, and again, make the sahwi at the end. If you have complete doubt, you have no idea which one it is, third or second, go to the lesser of the two, and then finish up the salah and make the sujood sahwi at the end, and Allah knows best. Is this the is this key, the key to the salaf? Uh, yes, insha'Allah. Ustad, what is the name of the book you are referring to? I would really like to purchase a copy if it's available in English, of course. So, firstly, the book that we are teaching is the book of known as the Three Fundamental Principles, right? It's a very basic text that we are using, but we are giving a slightly detailed commentary. Not a very detailed, but a slightly detailed commentary. So there are certain points we we touch on and we elaborate on them and we try to, uh, you know, derive some benefits from it and so forth. The commentary that I'm using is the commentary by Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Al-Qasim. This Sheikh is Imam of Masjid al-Nabawi. Right? So I'm using his commentary as a guide and I, I'm explaining what the Sheikh has expounded upon, based upon the text that we are using. The text you can find in English. 
you search the three fundamental principles by Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, you will find it. A commentary of it you can find by, I know in English you can find one by Sheikh ibn Uthaymin, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymin rahimahullah. His commentary, so just like this is a commentary, you get different commentaries, many different. I know the fact that Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymin, his commentary has been translated. You can definitely find this in the bookstores and even online. And maybe other commentaries as well that I may not be aware of that's available in the English language. But the one that I'm using in Arabic, I don't think it's been translated. Not that I know of, uh, but there are other commentaries that are available in English. So you're looking for the book, The Three Fundamental Principles by Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab. Commentary you can find by Sheikh Muhammad Ibn Salih al-Uthaymin rahimahullah. This is available in English and maybe you will find other commentaries as well available online in English or elsewhere and Allah knows best. Can we mention just Allah's name as a form of dhikr? Um, as far as I know, this is not um, something that is from the sunnah. To just say Allah, 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 Allah. Some have even shortened this and they just say who, 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 who. You find this with some of the groups of the Sufis where they just say who, which means he. So they keep saying he, 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 he. You, there's no mention of this in the Sunnah where the Prophet ﷺ did dhikr in this way or the Sahaba did dhikr in this way. And it's their way, their path that we should be following. Our worship we learn from the Prophet ﷺ. So when we make dhikr of Allah, we want to praise Allah and not just say His name. So not instead of just saying Allah, say Subhanallah. Perfection and glory belong to Allah. Subhanallah means Allah is free from all defects, all shortcoming, all weakness. Perfection belongs to Him. So you say Subhanallah, Subhanallah, Subhanallah. Understanding what you are saying, teaching yourself, in, uh, ingraining into your heart the perfection of Allah that Allah is free from any weakness any shortcoming any defect any um, tiredness any slumber any deformity anything Allah is perfect in every way instead we say Alhamdulillah all praise belongs to Allah He is the one that's worthy of all praise number one He is perfect His names and attributes everything He does is perfect we should praise Him for this, he deserves to be praised. Number two, all of the favors he bestows upon us. He deserves to be praised. Instead of saying Allah, say Alhamdulillah. Or praise belongs. Allahu Akbar. Instead of saying Allah alone, say Allah is the greatest. Nothing is equal unto him. Nothing is like unto him. He is greater than everything. Greater than anything else. There is no nothing impossible for him. Allah is the greatest. No matter what difficulty you're in, Allahu Akbar, Allah can take you out of it at any moment. So instead of saying Allah, 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 praise Him. Alhamdulillah, Subhanallah, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah. There is none worthy of worship except Allah. There is no deity worthy of worship except Allah. These four words are the best four words on the face of this earth. Nothing is equal to it. So instead of saying Allah, 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 that becomes like an innovated form of dhikr. We should avoid this. Worship Allah the way the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us to worship Allah. Say subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wa allahu akbar. Say it over and over and over. Understand what you are saying. Two words, 
light on the tongue, heavy on the scale, easy to say, Subhanallah wa bihamdi, Subhanallah al-Azim, Hadith Bukhari, heavy on the scales of Qiyamah, light on the tongue, easy to say. Perfection belongs to Allah and all praise. Perfection belongs to Allah, the greatest. This is how we should worship Allah Azza wa Jal and so forth. As opposed to just saying, Hu, 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 Allah, Allah, Allah. That's not worship from the Quran and the Sunnah. Worship Him, remember Him, praise Him. This is how we should make dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal and Allah knows best. <clears throat> What's the best book to get to Salafi Manhaj? It's a very difficult question. Number one, start with the Quran. Start with learning the book of Allah. Learn, you know, the Fatiha. Learn the tafsir of the three quls of the Fatiha and so forth. Study the book of Tawheed. The book we're learning today is the book of Tawheed. Tawheed is the most important subject. Study these type of books. Talathatul Usul. And the reason why I say these books are because they are simplified books, especially for, for us today. Right? If you go to the classical books, they're a bit more uh, technical. They're a bit more... They're not as simplified as these books are. But these books are upon the same aqidah, the same uh, tawheed and so forth. <coughs> so this is a good book to start off with. Kitab al-Tawheed of the same author, Ibn Abdullah Allah, is also very good in terms of tawheed. Um, and, and so forth, you know, then the Salafi manhaj is a, is, is, it's a, it's a whole way of life. It's not just, you know, one thing. It's about being attached to the book of Allah. It's about worshipping Allah Azza wa Jal. The way we're supposed to, it's about having the best of akhlaq and character. It's about protecting our tongues from ghiba and, and backbiting and slaughtering others and from lying. It's about protecting our gaze. It's about worshipping Allah at night. It's about worshipping Allah during the day by fasting. That's what Salafiyah actually is. Yes, it starts with rectifying our aqidah 100% true. So we learn these books of Tawheed. We, we, we distance ourselves from innovation and shirk. We worship Allah Azza wa Jal alone. We also have to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Memorize his book, study his book, learn the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu in all facets of life, from aqidah to worship to transaction to the way we interact with others and so forth. So when you say the Salafi manhaj, that has a very, very broad meaning. So start with aqidah, connected with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, recite it every day, study it every day, learn the way you're supposed to worship Allah, fiqh, like how, what's fiqh of tahara, fiqh of salah, fiqh of zakah, and so forth. This is all part of the Salafi manhaj, and Allah Azza wa Jal ultimately knows best. So are there no other questions that I see coming through? Now, I see a lot of mention of adhkar. The best of adhkar is, of course, the prophetic adhkar, right? So try your best to start with the morning and evening adhkar. That's the best of adhkar. Adhkar of the salah, for example. And these things, we've made, we've shared them before in the comment section. In fact, we had a whole series of this post-team Islam. I was in Newcastle FM back then, I'm not too sure, <clears throat> in, in the last Ramadan. We spoke about these Al-Qaar in detail and so forth. I urge one all to try to go back to those lectures and benefit from them and to get those Al-Qaar as a part of your daily life, morning, evening, and sleep, for example, um, 
and also learning Al-Kafir after Salah. The best book for Adgar in English that I know of would be uh, The Fortress of a Muslim. The Fortress of a Muslim. It's a very famous, small, little uh, pocket-sized book. Fortress of a Muslim. It contains many of the Adgar that we should learn. You know, practical Adgar that even a Muslim should learn. The Fortress of a Muslim. Hisnul Muslim. You can find it, I'm sure, online. You can even find it in the app stores for free. And you can find it in an Islamic bookstore. You know, I'm sure they will have these copies of Fortress of a Muslim. That's something that's highly recommended for every Muslim to have and to learn, inshallah ta'ala. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa Any books on manners? Um, books on manners. Adab al-Mufrad is usually, a, a, in terms of a hadith text, we have a book called Adab al-Mufrad, which has been compiled by Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, found the, the compiler of Sahih al-Bukhari. He compiled the book Adab al-Mufrad, which is a hadith that deals with Adab. You can find Adab al-Mufrad on sunnah.com. Sunnah.com, right, which is a, Hadith's website, translation of a hadith, all six books are on there. On there you will find, go to sunnah.com, look for Adam al-Mufrad, and you can find this a compilation of hadith in there and so forth. And there's many others. <clears throat> uh, if you study 40 hadith, you will know it properly. There's a lot of adab in there. Um, Manners of a Muslim is a book like this in English. Manners of a Muslim, you can find a book like this in English. Um, now, then Allah knows best. Uh, where can I find them again in the other lectures? Um, you can find them on, I'm not sure if it's on the Steam Islam site or the Newcastle FM site. Uh, maybe uh, Brother Hassan in the background, I don't know if, if you know. Um, uh, but if you search for the morning and evening at the car, by Abu Sarah, you'll find it, the lectures. And the links all should be in there somewhere as well. Yeah, I think it was still fast, if him. Here we go. There's a link, alhamdulillah. So if you go to those applications, there's a playlist over there. There's a list of the different adhkar that we should be doing morning and evening and so forth with a commentary on it. And uh, you can benefit from that, inshallah ta'ala. Barakallahu fikum. So I don't see any other questions. Inshallah, we can um, wrap up here tonight. Naam, I don't see any other questions. So, barakallahu fikum. We will stop here, inshallah ta'ala, until next week, bi-idhnillah. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Shadu an la ilahi la anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته